Amen. Amen. As Micah alluded to, the song uh, is from Psalm 46. In fact, in a few moments when I read the psalm to you, you'll hear much of the lyrics from that song. Uh, a group by the name of Shane and Shane wrote a series of songs from the Psalms, uh, and they sing the Scripture, so I recommend you looking that up. Those are great guys, wonderful job uh, this morning. Psalm 46 is where we will be over the last couple of weeks uh, in my daily quiet time. I'm reading through the Bible, and I, I hope that you are as well. Uh, and I, my, the, the plan that I'm following has you read a little bit of the New Testament, a little bit of the Old Testament, and sprinkles in some Psalms and Proverbs along the way. And so you kind of go back and forth each Day. Well, right now, in, in the plan that I'm following, I'm in the book of Isaiah and the book of Hebrews. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, they're pretty vastly different books of the Bible. When you read the book of Hebrews, it is just a joy to read. You read all about how Christ is the center of the story, how He's the Savior, how His blood is paid for all of our sin, how He's better than any other prophet and angel, and, and how when we rest in Christ, we are forever His, and we're secure for all eternity. And it's just such a, a warm blessing to read the book of Hebrews. But when you read the book of Isaiah, you start to hear God's judgment. The prophet Isaiah is told by God to proclaim that God's going to judge the nation of Israel. He's going to judge the surrounding nations. There's going to be crashing and crushing and bending and breaking. And when you read the book of Isaiah, it just seems like the world is about to flip upside down as Isaiah is prophesying. And so when you read those two books beside each other, as I've been doing over the last couple of weeks, i got to tell you, I really want to live in the book of Hebrews. I want to walk, eat, sleep, rest in the fact that Jesus is the Savior, that He's rescued us, that He's secured us, and that all I need is in Christ. But day after day, week after week, news channel after news channel, it feels a little bit more like I'm living in the days of Isaiah. My feelings, my intellect is drawing towards Isaiah, but my heart is longing for Hebrews, right? I, I, I feel the contrast of that. So as I'm reading those, as I'm, I'm trying to understand what the Lord is sharing with me through His Word, I get to Psalm 46, sprinkled in there. It's like, a, it's like a light in the darkness. It's like a, a drink of water to a thirsty soul. It's, a, it's a, a raft in the midst of the ocean. Psalm 46, in the midst of seeing all the chaos abounding around me, all of the turmoil that's happening, all the uncertainty that we're facing, the Lord led me to Psalm 46 in my daily quiet time. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk you through Psalm 46, and I want you to be encouraged, as I've been encouraged, that the Lord is in control. We are, as the Bible would explain in the Old Testament and the New Testament, oftentimes a stiff-necked people. We need to be told and preached to. Paul would even say in his letters and the epistles, we need to hear the gospel and preach it to one another over and over and over and over and over. So this morning, I just want to share with you again and encourage you again with this wonderful truth that's really found in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. That God is what we need. God is who we hold to. God is our refuge. And when the world may feel like we're living in the midst of Isaiah's prophecies, God is not moved. And so I want to tell you this morning, whatever virus may be sweeping through the country, whatever political unrest we may see, Whatever election is coming, whatever election will come, whoever's on the court, who's ever not on the court, whatever China and Russia are up to, and I have no idea, Whatever's going on around the world, let me say this to you very clearly, and not really prophetically, but profoundly from God's Word, none of those things have moved God one inch from His throne. They will not move Him from His throne. 
And you and I, as people of faith, people who look to the Lord, we just need to be reminded of that. We need to be recurring. Over the last couple of weeks, many of you, like my family, we're trying to navigate what to do with our children. We're trying to navigate what to do and how work looks like. We're trying to navigate the different things. And there's this, this bubbling of constant anxiety. If I have to have one more meeting to plan what I think we're going to do, I may lose it, right? I'm not sure. I don't know. And you can kind of feel the weight of this uncertainty. And so Psalm 46 is for us just a moment to stop and stare and look and be reminded. Brothers and sisters, God is in control. Would you look at Psalm 46 with me this morning? I hope by the time that we're done, you leave smiling. Though I may not see it under the mask, I hope you leave smiling. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble as it's swelling. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the wonders of the Lord. How He has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease in the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together this morning. Father, Lord, I pray this morning as we walk through this text that you would just, Lord, encourage us, teach us, shape us, convict us, Lord, where we've we found ourselves lost in the worry of this world. Remind us again, you are God. You are in charge. And you are for us. You are with us. Lord, we, we need no other refuge. We need no other resources. We need nowhere else to look but to God and God alone who sits in the city of Zion. Father, I pray you bless us now, encourage us. Lord, if there be one here this morning that they have really found themselves worrying, struggling, anxiety is building, fear is crippling, I pray this morning that the truth of your word and the power of your spirit would, would melt that away. Lord, I pray for the one who, who they don't know Christ and, and they're staring at all the things that are happening around them and, they, and they're really not sure what the answer is. I pray this morning they would hear the gospel. And they would know that the answer to all they face is Jesus. For He alone saves. Father, I pray more than that, that as we leave as the body of Christ, we would leave with hope in our eyes. A smile on our face. A, a pep in our step. We would, we would go out to our world that seems to be full of chaos and turmoil, and we would look at them with stability and say, we know a refuge. We know a rescuer. We know a God who is unmoved. Lord, help us now as we walk through this text, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalms 46, the hymn, the psalm, the poet is telling us about God's character and who God is and how He can be trusted. We don't necessarily know all the setting or what's going on, but we see in the psalm that, that whatever has brought the psalmist to sing this song, he certainly faced trouble. 
He certainly faced trial. He certainly faced uncertainty. And, and, and probably for us, we, we could put ourselves in the place of the psalmist and say we're facing trials and uncertainty. We don't know about tomorrow. We're not sure what to do. We don't see how it's going to unfold. We, we often can see the world being chaotic and out of control. And so the psalmist gives us, in the midst of the storm, an anchor to hold. In fact, what I want to do is I I want to say to you that I believe this psalm and, and the way in which I'll present it to you will be helpful in the next few days and weeks. I pray that Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and next week you can recall this psalm and you can go back to it and you can actually have something to anchor your thoughts to when you're feeling tossed and torn in this broken world. And so the psalmist gives us that. And so what I want to do is show you three truths from the psalmist that I think you can hold on to every single day. The first truth is simply this. I think you can hold on to a wonderful proclamation to recite. A wonderful proclamation to recite. Oftentimes, I said this earlier, the Apostle Paul throughout his letters in the New Testament would tell us, say this to one another, encourage one another, preach this. It's the idea of sharing the gospel with one another. Now, I'm certainly not in the camp that our words somehow have creative power. I've been for years trying to say donuts don't have calories, but it ain't worked yet, right? So I'm not in that camp. I don't have the ability to create. I don't speak things into existence. Only God does that. Only God is the creator of the world. But I certainly understand through the scripture and through the text that there is power in our words. We see this in the book of James. We see this in Proverbs, that there's certainly power in our speech. And so one of the things that I want to do for you is say to you simply this, that there's power in our speech, and there's particularly power in our speech when we pray. And the psalmist gives us, in verse 1, a prayer to recite, a thing to say, a statement to remember. And the glorious truth of the statement is, it's not that when you say it, you're somehow transformed when Popeye eats spinach. That's not the case. Those of you that are really young, Google it, okay? That's not the idea. The idea is is that by saying it, you're reminding yourself of the God you're talking to. We need to be reminded of who God is. So look at verse 1. Here is this proclamation to recite. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I can't think of no better sentence to formulate in the days in which we live. I can think of no better thing to say. I'm certainly not a poet, and if I were, I'm sure I would not write to this amount, but, but that seems to say it. That seems to sum up the way in which I feel in the days in which I am living. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't understand. I don't see how it's going to play out. I don't know where victory comes from. God, I can't fix it. But you, you are a help. You are a refuge. You are here whenever I need you. And I want you to see what the psalmist is telling us about God. Listen now, I want you to know what it means to have God as your refuge and your strength. What does it mean when God is our refuge and our strength? Well, the first thing it means is simply this. God is a powerful refuge. Notice with me in the text what the writer says. God is our refuge and strength. He doesn't say God and. He adds nothing to God. There's no qualifiers. He just simply says, in times of trouble, and the word trouble there literally means in the Hebrew, a fix that you're in that you can't fix. It means the idea of finding yourself in a situation that you can't solve, and that's pretty much all of life, right? You can't solve it, and you need something to rescue you. And so the psalmist says, God is my refuge. He doesn't add anything to God. And so I want you to see that when we turn to God, there's nowhere else we need to turn. He doesn't say, God and politics is my refuge and strength. 
He doesn't say God and health is my refuge and strength. He doesn't say God and wealth is my refuge and strength. He doesn't say God and the right laws passed or the right judges on the court or the right king of this nation or president of this country. He doesn't say any of that. He says God is my refuge and strength. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded. And again, we'll weave in and out of what we're facing today. And I'm certainly not advocating for pulling out of society and not being a part of the answer. But we need to make sure as believers we understand that all of our eggs are in the basket of King Jesus. God is our refuge and strength. I'm reminded of the story of David and Goliath. You know it well. Let me retell it for just a moment. Goliath, the Philistine army, is standing and they send out their champion Goliath and he's standing there begging and pleading for someone to fight him. And the Bible says that no one will go. They were scared of Goliath. So David goes out. David goes out to fight him. The shepherd boy, the kid, the runt, the son of Jesse, the one who no one thought of. He goes out to face him with nothing but a slingshot in his hand. Goliath holding a shield and a spear and a sword that would outweigh David himself. Standing before him, mocking him. And notice what the the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin. But I come to you. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The word Lord of hosts, we'll see it later in the text in the psalm. The word Lord of hosts here literally means Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of armies, the Lord of angel armies, the Lord over all things. The Lord who commands everything. And so he literally says, you come at me with all of these weapons, I'm coming at you with God, I don't need nothing else. I'm not coming to you with God and my slingshot skills. I'm not coming to you with God and my cunning or my speed or my sword. I'm coming at you with God and God alone. And as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? So the psalmist is reminding us in Psalms 46 that whatever we face, God is the powerful refuge and strength that we need. Brothers, we need to be reminded of that. Sisters, in all of our worry and fear, we need to be reminded God is where we look. God is where we turn. We look nowhere else for the answers. It is God and God alone who holds all things. Not only does the psalmist tell us in verse 1 that God is a powerful refuge, but he would tell us he is a personal refuge. Notice the pronouns that are used in the psalm. He says in verse 1, God is our refuge. That's personal. He's mine, He's yours. He's ours. We, there's ownership in this relationship. We, we have a relationship with Him. Later on in the text, we'll see Him say that we are His people, or God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. These are personal pronouns declaring that we have a relationship with this God. This is a beautiful truth for us to remember. We do not serve a divine deity that's distant and we do religious acts in order to please Him. We serve a personal God who rescued us through Christ, who stands with us as His Father, and who desires us to know Him and walk with Him. We serve a God who is our personal refuge. And what does this mean? This means, brothers and sisters, wherever you find yourself, God is there. Whatever you face, God is there. Mom and dad, you're wrestling over school decisions. God is there. You're wrestling over work situations. God is there. You're in a home dealing with struggle and uncertainty and plans that you don't know when they'll unfold. God is there. And the beautiful thing is, is when you get to the next day, God's already there too. He's already there, and He's there, and He's there, and He's there. God is our present help. He's with us. In fact, look at the verse 1 again. Let me show you something neat about the text. 
The Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. You see that term, very present help? It literally, uh, excuse me, not our refuge and strength. You see that term, our refuge and strength? It literally translates out our, our uh, bearer, our armor. So, so it's literally can be translated, he's for us, he's with us. That, that God is personally for us and with us. That, that he is our fortress. It's a, a personal call from God to, that he is our refuge. So not only does the psalmist tell us that God is a powerful refuge and a personal refuge, or excuse me, a present refuge, he tells us that he is a, uh, uh, a, a personal, I'm confused now. Not only is a powerful refuge and a personal, ours, he is a present refuge. He's with us. Look, look at the text. Let me show you what I mean. Let me fix the confusion in my brain and your ears, right? God is our refuge and strength. Here it is. A very present help. I love that phrase. Not a sometimes help. Not a occasionally when I can catch him. Not a when he's not too busy. A very present help. The translation really means literally standing, waiting to help. Ready to be found. Wishing to be sought. When you play hide and go seek, you don't want to be found. That's the very opposite of this text. God is wishing to be found by His people. He wants to be found. It's the idea that you can cry out to Him, you can call Him, and in fact, if you look at verse 7 and verse 11, there is a chorus repeated, and it says that He is the Lord of hosts. He is with us. God is our refuge. What does it mean when we say God is our refuge? It means to say that He is powerful that He is more powerful than anything we will face. It means to say that He is personal, that He is with us, that He is rescuing us, that He is for us, that He's for you. And it means to say that He is present, that He's with you wherever you are and whatever you face and whatever you are going through. You will never be in a place where God is not able to be found. That's the beauty of being His children. That's the beauty of being under His care. That's the beauty of being citizens of His kingdom. Paul Tripp in his book, Suffering, when he talks about suffering and the sovereignty of God and how we, we often don't see what God is doing, he writes this. He says, there is never a moment when I can't go for help. And there's never a moment when God is incapable of helping me. There's never a moment where I can't turn to God. And there's never a moment when I turn to God that somehow he's not going to be able to help me because he's the most powerful God. He's over all things. Brothers and sisters, let me just say to you with all the encouragement I can muster, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in the times of trouble. This is the beauty of the text. So we should recite that. We should say that. We should pray that. We should start each morning with this on our mind. God, today you are my refuge and strength. God, today I will solve problems. I will look with answers. I will scheme in the ways of the world. But Lord, remind me that all of that means nothing if you're not my refuge. You're not my strength. You and you alone is who I place my trust in. That leads us to a second part of the text that I think that's helpful. Because we have this proclamation, this climax, he literally starts the poem with the most important sentence. But because we have this climax and this, this idea that God is our refuge and strength, then he begins to give us some promises that we can hold to. Because of the wonderful proclamation that we're reciting, God is our stronghold, God is our help, God is there in trouble, then we have a wonderful promise to remember. Because God is our stronghold, because he's our help, this is what the psalmist says. Look at verse 2 with me. This is what he tells us. Because God is there for us, because you can trust God, because you can rest on him, and he is our stronghold. Listen to what that means, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. What a promise. 
What a promise. Because God is the stronghold, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be fearful. And, and let's be honest, we, we, we may not be people who are, who are cowering behind the door or, or scared to go out or scared to go around or scared to do anything, but, but we live in a day and age where we're often making decisions based on fear, right? I, I'm afraid how to interact in this way. I'm afraid how to go this way. I'm afraid how politics are headed. I'm afraid how nations are maneuvering. I'm afraid of what schools are going to decide. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of this. And all of these decisions begin to bombard us and we can be crippled in fear and not certain of what's going on. And we get our eyes down in this world and we forget the promise of verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, I will not fear. There's liberation in this, brothers and sisters. There's freedom in not fearing. When we know that the Lord is in charge, when the Lord the Lord is in control, when we know that He sits and reigns on the throne, there is freedom now to live the life that He's called us to live. There is freedom now to walk with Him and not be paralyzed by the things of this world. We are with God. But He gives us two examples. Verse 1, I told you the word trouble means uh, some sort of situation that you can't fix. In, in the rest of uh, verses 2 through 7 here, uh, he gives us two examples of the things we fear. And really, in these two examples, it encompasses everything you could ever fear. If I were to ask you to make a list of the things that you fear, you, you might make that list. You might start with spiders, right? We all, we're all in that boat. You might say, if you, come on, people, spiders are creepy. You start with spiders, right? Uh, and then you move to, like, you know, anything that was cooked by that person. You know, I'm afraid of that. Uh, and, and then you move to, uh, naming no names, uh, and then you move to, like, you know, political unrest and cancer and death and horrific sin that happens to seemingly innocent people and hurricanes and tornadoes, volcanoes erupting, tsunamis washing on the beach. You, you can make a list and think of all the things that you might be afraid of. And so what the psalmist does is he puts all of those in two categories. He says, when we remember that God is our stronghold, when we remember that God is where we find our help, when we remember that God is the one who has rescued us, then we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear. And he, and he puts it in two categories. And he says, first, you don't have to fear nature. Look, look at verse two and three. He's describing nature. He says in verse two or three, therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The natural world does not have to fear, not have to bring fear into our life. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If I'm standing somewhere and the earth gives way, I'm probably going to be a little bit afraid. If I'm standing somewhere and a mountain decides to jump into the sea, that's probably going to rattle me a little bit, right? I can't think of anything worse here. And he may be describing kind of future judgment of God. He might be using an analogy here. But the idea is that he's saying, if you can think of the worst catastrophe, the worst thing you can think of, the, the very earth giving away, the very mountains crashing into the sea, this catastrophic worldwide just falling of the earth. If you can think of that, and that'd be one of the most scary things you can think of, remember this, you don't even have to fear that because God is our refuge and strength. And why? Because, brothers and sisters, God's not sitting on this earth. God is over this earth. God is in heaven on his throne. Let the earth fall apart. It's not going to lodge God from his throne. It's not going to move him from his kingdom. It's not going to stop him from sitting on the throne. Let the oceans roll over the mountains. It's not going to wash God out of authority. He's not moved. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. 
It's literally the undoing of creation. What if everything God created started to unravel? Sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it feels like all creation is unraveling before our eyes. Well, even if it does, we don't have to be afraid because God is not moved. God's over creation. Psalms 104, 5, and 6, the writer is describing how God commands creation. It says, He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. He covered it with the deep as with a garment of the water stood above the mountains. At it, your rebuke, you, they fled at the sound of your thunder. They took flight. He controls nature. Not one drop of rain falls without Him knowing it. Not one sparrow falls from the sky without him knowing it. Brothers and sisters, whatever catastrophe you might think of in the natural world, he knows it. And let's just pull that back to something more realistic. Every cell, every atom, every hair on your head, some of you more than others, he knows them all. Every molecule and makeup of every virus ever known and those we don't know, God is not moved by those. Those don't lodge him, dislodge him from his throne. He is over. All things. Not only is he over nature, but he's over nations. Look with me at the next part of the text, verses 4 through 7. There is a river that streams make glad the city of God, the holy inhabitants of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nation rages, the kingdoms totter. The, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress notice what the writer says he says now sometimes we get afraid of nature we get afraid of the natural things we we get afraid of things like cancer because we, we don't know where it comes from we don't know where it's going we don't know who's going to get it we, we we can be afraid of that we can be afraid of the natural world of hurricanes and tornadoes we can be afraid of, of viruses and we can be afraid of the things that, that are in the nature world but we also can be very much afraid of nations of people of society of systems we can be afraid of those things. We can be afraid of political unrest and rioting. We can be afraid of senseless violence and robbery and murder. And we can be afraid of these things that are happening all around us. They can, they can cause us to think, where is God? And in fact, the psalmist describes in verse 6, the nation's rage. Lord, all of this uncertainty is clamoring. They're making noise. They're gathering up their armies. Wickedness seems to be prevailing. It seems to be winning. They're making lots and lots of noise. Lord God, I'm getting afraid. And notice what he says in verse 6. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Think, think about the picture. All the things that, that we can certainly be afraid of if we allow ourselves. We can be afraid of of political outcomes. We can be afraid of foreign nations and the moves that they're making. We can be afraid of the rise and fall of the economy. All of those things that are part of this world. We could, we could certainly be afraid of those things. We could live in fear of those. They could, they could keep us up at night. Or we can remember that when God whispers His voice, whispers, utters, just speaks, it'll all be over with. Or we can remember that the God who is our refuge and strength, all He has to do is speak, not only in creation, but in judgment. All He has to do is speak. And all of it subdues to Him. All the earth melts under His authority. All the kingdoms rest under Him. But I want you to see something here, because, because here's what I'm thinking as I read this personally. I'm thinking, Lord, that makes a lot of sense. I'm ready for you to start uttering. I wish you'd start whispering a little bit, Lord. I wish you'd whisper over here and over here and over here. There's some things I wish you'd whisper about. 
There's some abominations going on all around us that are, that are mockery of your kingdom and your ways and your word. Lord, please whisper. And I find myself thinking, well, I guess it only means when he comes back, only when it's finished, only when it's finally done, and there's really no hope for now. But that's not what the psalmist thinks. Look at the text. He says there's hope for now. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The city of God is a reference to God's holy city, Zion, the place where he rules and reigns. It also has to do with the citizens of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. For those of us that are in Christ, we are citizens of heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So we're part of this city of God, even though we're not physically in the eternal city of God yet. We are citizens of this city. We are part of the city of God. So I want you to notice that. Why? Because look what it says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Notice what he describes here. He describes God sitting on his throne in his kingdom, in his nation, in his city. And here's what he says. Though the nations may be raging, they may be making all the noise they can make. God's city has not moved. God's city is not shaken. God's city is not bothered by it. And then notice what it says in the text. Look there. It says, and from it flows a river of life, right? A river of joy, a river of life, a river that replenishes. Brothers and sisters, this is New Testament analogies for us. We who are in Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we are now drinking from the river of life. We are now part of the citizens of God. We are now part of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, now, even in the world where the kingdoms rage, I have connection to this river, to the place of God, to the blessing of God, to the joy of God, to the peace of God. So when the world feels like it's raging, I don't have to worry because I drink deeply from the city of God, the kingdom of God. This is not my home, and I know where my home is, and therefore I draw peace from the Lord's river. So even in the midst of the day where I wish God would whisper and utter a little more, I can draw strength from the very river of God that flows from the kingdom of Zion. Through the power of the Spirit and the power of His Word, I am now blessed with peace in the midst of turmoil. I'm blessed with courage in the midst of fear. I'm blessed with wisdom in the midst of foolishness. This is what happens when we draw from God's river. And then I want to show you one other truth from the text that's for here and for now. Look at verse 5. God is in the midst of her. He's in this city. He's in the holy hill. He habits that. She shall not be moved. Nothing will lodge God from His kingdom. And the river of God will continue to flow. It will continue to make glad. It will continue to pour into the citizens of God. And notice what he says in verse 5. God will help her when the morning dawns. There is the reference here that God replenishes His people. He refreshes His people. In the dawning of the morning, God is with us. There are new mercies every day. God walks with us. Yes, today may have been full of fear and paralyzing pain, but tomorrow God is new and His mercies are new to us. This is what the writer of Lamentations would tell us in the famous passage, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to end. They are every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, even though we live in the midst of this chaotic world, my kingdom, my king, my president, my authority, my father, he's on his throne in Zion and his kingdom has never moved. My candidate never loses. And from him flows this river that gives me strength and blessing and power and courage. Helps me to walk in the midst of this fallen and broken world. The psalmist says there is a proclamation to recite. The Lord is our stronghold. 
The Lord is our refuge and stronghold, a very help in times of trouble. That's what we are to recite. There's a promise here to hold to. God is in charge. So let me for just a moment, let me, let me just pull back for just a moment and offer a little bit of application of what I see unfolding around us and myself being convicted of. it. There's not a day go by where someone I talk with or talk to says something like this, the world's never been this bad before. Or our country's really messed up and it's, it's going bad real fast. I've never seen it like this before. Something's got to happen. Revival's got to Listen, I agree with you. We need revival. We need God to move. We need faithful people to pray and share the gospel. I agree with all of that. But let me be very clear with you, and I, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we're not special. The world has been falling apart since Genesis chapter 3. It's always been bad. It's always moving in a swamp. It's always falling apart. This is not the eternal home of God. I'm sure when Noah's family looked around, they probably said, boy, it's never been this bad before. I'm sure when the nation of Israel spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt to the pagan gods of Egyptian, I'm sure they said, boy, it's never been this bad before. I'm positive that when the apostles who loved the Lord Jesus watched a corrupt government and a false religion sacrifice the very King of Kings, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, I'm sure they said it's never been this bad before. I'm positive when the early church fathers were killed for sport in the gladiator arenas of Rome, they probably said it's never been this bad before. Even our own country, when we bought and sold people by the color of their skin, I'm sure they said it's never been this bad before. When civil war broke out and half the country's fighting the other half, I'm sure they said it's never been this bad before. When Hitler starts marching across Europe and our factories close and people go to war and families are ripped apart, I'm certain that at that time in that age, people said it's never been this bad before. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. Pull back from the news. Stop getting lost in the cycle and let me say some truth to you. It's always been bad. It's broken. It's fallen but King Jesus has not moved. And God is on the throne. And every generation that's been found faithful has come to the realization that we look to Jesus and Jesus alone, for He is our refuge and our strength. That's where we look. That's what we trust in. So here's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. We need to stop joining the conversation with our neighbors who don't know Jesus and are scared out of their wits because they're not certain what's going to happen and they put all their eggs in a political party or a judge on a court or whatever happens in Russia or China or Iraq or Middle East and we need to look at our neighbor and say, yes, I agree. We need to vote this way. We need to encourage this. We need to work towards that. But brother or sister, let me tell you something. Whoever wins the election, I'm not scared because God ain't moved. Whatever Russia does, I'm not scared. God ain't moved. Whatever happens to every quarter in this society, I don't care. God's not moved. So we as believers need to stand and look at people who are dying for hope in the midst of gripping fear and say to them, the answer is God and God alone. And stop thinking that our refuge is in something else. It is God and God alone. Now, now hear me. I am not advocating being absent from society. You know my heart, brothers and sisters. I'm not advocating for not being a part of the political process or lobbying for what is right or voting for what is moral and ethical. I'm not saying we pull out. I'm not saying God hasn't put those institutions in place. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what happens in Russia or China or Iraq. I'm just simply saying when we find ourselves lost in those conversations, instead of looking at a lost and dying world and say, let me tell you about a kingdom that's never moved, we've missed the point of being Christians in this world. We are called to give hope. The good news, 
The gospel. And then finally, let me show you the last part of it because I, I want to give you this eternal hope. I want you to leave now just whistling and smiling and excited because I don't know when this will take place. Tomorrow may be the worst day of all of our lives. I don't know. I don't understand the future. I'm not God. I'm not in charge. I don't know. But I do know this. One day he's going to return and make it all right. And that's what the psalmist says at the very end. Look with me at verse 8. I want you to see finally a wonderful prophecy to rest in. Here's where we rest. Here's where we sit. Here's where we find all the conclusions of the text. Right here in verse 8, 9, and 10, and 11. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here's what the psalmist does. In the first seven verses, he's looking at the, at the present He's thinking about what's going on around him. The nature's raging. The nations are raging. He needs God to rescue him. He's come to this conclusion that God alone is his refuge. But then at the very end, he now moves to the prophetic and he looks all the way down the arc of eternity to the last day, the day in which the Lord will return. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise. Those who are left behind will be judged and crushed and settled and all accounts will be finished and God will finish what he started by recreating this fallen world through Christ Jesus. He's looking all the way down to when it's over, to the victory that we see described in Revelation and he says to us as believers listen you're going to have opportunities to be afraid there's going to be moments where you're gripped with fear where the world seems like it's turning upside down where the very mountains feel like they're running into the ocean and the nations are raging and you're going to find yourself gripped and worried but remember this it will end it will come to an end God will make all things new God is going to bring to an end all that we've ever experienced. He will make right all the wrongs. He will, he will bless those that are with Him. He will gather them up. It will not be this way forever. This is why I don't have to have fear. Because regardless of what happens in, in my life or your life or a hundred generations from now, in the blink of an eye when eternity begins, it'll feel like dust and a puff of smoke. God is, is doing something. And notice what the psalmist does. He tells us to look at this for encouragement. You must look at the future. You need to have an eye on eternity. And notice what he says in verse 8. He gives us two commands. The first one's in verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. He brought desolation to the earth. There he is conquering nation, nature. He makes wars cease and he ends the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. There he is conquering the nations. He says, come behold. Now, what is he asking you to do? He's asking you to use your spiritual and biblical imagination. He's asking you to read God's word and by faith peer deep into the future of eternity and see the day where the Lord returns. We don't know exactly what it'll look like. We don't, we don't understand how it's going to unfold. There's been some really cheesy movies made about it. They're probably not true. But the idea is that you, you stare out into eternity and behold with me. Sit with me for a moment. Let your imagination run wild. God comes back. God comes back and and what happens first? Every tear is wiped away. What happens? All the aches and pains in your body disappear. What happens? Those that have gone before us, those that we've weeped over, those that we have hurt because they've died in this world, we see them and we embrace them. 
What happens? We're invited into the city of God where the sun never sets and the gates never close and the feast is on the table and God Himself is there and we behold it and we see it and the psalmist is telling us, use your imagination, use your heart's eye and see it, brother and sister. See the fact that God will return. See the fact that all things will be made new. See the fact that nations will not rage forever and nature will not rage forever and that God will make it right. See it. Know it. The word behold here literally means to stare at and soak in. We just got back from traveling out west and every place we stopped, my wife would say, my camera's broke. And the reason she would say that is is because she would take some picture of this vast mountain or snow cap or this herd of buffalo and then she would look at her picture and go, that didn't do it right. That didn't give it justice. That wasn't good enough. And and literally, this is what the psalmist is telling us to do. To not just look at the shadow and the snap, but to stare down in the future and know God will return. He tells us, behold. But then he gives us verse 10. Probably the most famous verse of this passage. Be still and know that I am God. That I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among you. I want you to notice that there's two reasons for this phrase in the text. The first one is God is directly speaking to the nations and the nations. It's His judgment. He stands there and He says, be still. Remember up in the early part of the text where it says God utters and and their uh, armies are broken, they melt away? This is His utterance. Be still. It's as if Jesus stands on the boat and tells the storm, peace, be still, and the waves cease and the waters calm. Why? Because God is in charge of all things. And on the day when he returns, he will look at all of those that have come against us, all of the woes of war against his children, all of those who are evil, all of those who've done wickedness. He will look at them and he will say simply this, be quiet, be still, stop and look, see how glorious I am, see how big I am, see that I am God over all things. Hush your clamoring armies, be quiet, you raging oceans, be silent, you whipping winds, I am God. And he tells us to just be still and look at him. But there's also this encouragement in the text to us. It's not just a command and a rebuke to those that he's judging, it's an encouragement to us. Why? Because brothers and sisters, listen to me now, we are living in a world full of voices. 24 hours, seven days a week, voices. Voices on the news, voices on social media, voices from every opinion, from every person in every walk of life, voices in every direction telling us this and that and this and that. And what does God declare to us in Psalm 46 verse 10? Be still. Be quiet. Know that I am God. Know that I'm the refuge and the strength. Know that I am your shelter in times of storm. Know that I'm coming again and I will make all things new. Put all your eggs in my basket. That's what he declares to us. Be still and behold him. Now there are two things I must say and we will close. The first one is, of all the things I read in chapter 46, the earth and the mountains falling apart, that certainly would scare me of the nations warring and society turning over and danger that's among people and sinful people, that certainly can scare us. But i got to be honest with you. The most scary part of, verse, of, of chapter 46 is these last few verses when the Lord returns. Because you, you understand that when the Lord returns, it's over. It's done. We're, we're going to stare at Him face to face, and He's going to say, Behold, and be quiet, and He's going to judge. 
And so the, the, most, the most fearful thing in this text is standing before God. But, but here's the beautiful truth, and I don't want you to miss this, because, because here's where the gospel comes in. Here's the beautiful truth. All of us who are separated from God in our sin at birth, all of us who are away from Him in rebellion, all of us who deserve to die and be judged by God, be thrown with the armies, bent with our spears, and melted with the earth, all of us who, when God returns and begins to utter His judgment, should be crushed. This psalm should crush us. That same God that utters judgment is the same God that sent His Son to offer rescuing. This is the beauty of the Gospel. That God not only judges sinners, but the same God that judges sinners rescues sinners. The same God who's going to judge those who rage against Him is the same God who through Christ entered this world and offered Himself as a refuge and a stronghold from the very judgment of God. So brothers and sisters, I don't think you should fear governments and I don't think you should fear the melting of the earth. I think you should fear eternity and know in your heart and know in your soul that the only answer for standing before God is Jesus Christ. And then, when you come to Christ... The fear melts away. I'm not afraid to stand before God. Why? Not because I deserve it, not because I've merited, not because I've done anything good, but because I know the Lord will say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. And it's not because I've been good and faithful, it's because Jesus has been good and faithful. He has rescued me. He saved me. He's the very shelter in the storm. You must have Jesus to face that final fear. And that is judgment. Now we close with this. What should you do? Here it is. Here's the list. Let me give it to you on the screen. What do you do on Monday morning? Here it is. Recite the proclamation. God is my refuge and my strength. Remember it. Pray it. Say it. It's Scripture. It's God's Word. Remember the promise. Therefore, I will not fear. I don't have to be afraid. Rest in the promise. Behold and be still. He's coming again. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word and walk through it. We're thankful that we can learn from Psalm 46 that You are God and You are good and You are not changed. That no matter what nature or nations may be doing, You are not lodged from Your seat. Lord, Lord uh, we, we are certainly part of this world. We're certainly called to be salt and light. We're certainly called to be part of what You've set up. We, we, we follow governed authorities. We want to have a say. We, we believe in being active and, and trying to bring moral, ethics, Christian, biblical standards to the world. Lord, we're, we're for all of that. It matters how people vote. It matters who's in charge. It matters what other nations are doing, good and bad. It matters, Lord. Those things are important. Father, too often we must confess that we get lost in that, thinking that's where our power lies. Remind us, as people of the city of God, remind us as people of your eternal kingdom, that whoever wins elections or whoever's on the court or whatever nation is deciding to do what or what, whatever the economy is doing, whatever nature is doing, whatever virus is spreading, remind us. None of those things move you from your throne. That you are our refuge and our strength. Our very present help in the time of trouble. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe this morning some of you, it's simply about repenting. You, you've been lost and wallowing in the fear of this world and not acting as one who knows the Lord Jesus is in charge. You might just need to repent and confess, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I get so wound up in the fears of this world. Remind me that you're in charge. 
Maybe this morning you are finding yourself in a, a place of anxiety or fear. It's just building up and you're trying to figure out what to do and you feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's, it's school decisions or job decisions. Maybe it's, it's uh, health issues and you, you just find yourself overwhelmed and the, the waves of the world seem to be washing over you. The ground seems to be given away right under your feet. Maybe you just need to stop and pray. Maybe you need to memorize Psalm 46 verse 1. Maybe you need to be still and behold the fact that the Lord's going to return and make all things new. Maybe you're here this morning and brother, sister, you know that, that there's coming a day where all things will be made new. The great apologist C.S. Lewis said one of the evidences for God is the fact that we desire something better. That we know it shouldn't be this way. Well, Psalms 46 tells us that something better is coming. So maybe you know that something's better coming, but you're not ready. Listen to me now. Hear me clearly. The Bible says in the book of Romans that the way in which we prepare is by Jesus Christ. It tells us in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us deserve His judgment. It tells us that in our sin, God sent His Son to die for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us in our place. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that the Lord Jesus came and died and was buried and rose from the grave, we can be saved. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. You, brother, sister, don't have to face the end of your life with fear because you can have Jesus be a citizen of the city of God. That's the answer for today. Here's what we're going to do, church family. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you want to come and, and pray at the altar during the song, that's perfectly fine. If you want to come and talk to me, I'll be glad to talk to you. I would ask that we do that after the service, after people have had time to disperse. But I'll be waiting here. I want to talk to you. But ultimately, maybe it's just a matter of standing and singing to God. So we're going to sing in Christ alone, reminding ourselves that He is our only hope. So that's our response today. Lord Jesus, may we respond to You knowing You are our help, our stronghold in the very time of trouble. May you be honored by the singing of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together?